everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. King James tried his best, especially early on, to keep the Los Angeles Lakers from being swept out of the Western Conference Finals. But Jokic said, well, King James, great effort, bud. Great effort. But I'm going to mess around and get a triple-double and go ahead and get this sweep out of the way. And that way I can go and prepare for my first NBA Finals appearance. Nuggets sweep the Lakers in advance. Will Miami do the same tonight when the Heat take on the Boston Celtics? Or can the Celtics actually show some life or show that they actually do care of being on the brink of elimination? Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Joining me inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette is a man who is locked in, laser-focused, day in, day out, night, day, weekday, weekend, spring, fall, it does not matter, the season, the time of day, or the day of the week. Producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo. Good morning! How's it going? <laughs> so what are you going to do with yourself right now that you don't have games to call on the Cajun Prairie? I feel like maybe you're going through a little withdrawal today, this morning. You starting to feel it? Yeah, no, that's tough. That's tough. Um, summer's a tough time, too, for that type of thing, really. <laughs> yes, it is. You got a lot of, you know. <laughs> yes, it is. The fall will be here sooner than later, yeah, my friend. It's sure Not to will. worry. It sure will. Um, yeah, no, and that was a tough way to end it, by the way. For those who didn't hear, they, they lost um, in the championship game, the winner-take-all game of the uh, Region 23 tournament. So East Central headed to the title, or headed to the national tournament, I should say. Um, congrats to them. Uh, just, you know, an, an impressive turnaround. 13-1 to LSU wins game one to force that winner-take-all game, but it was uh, – not in the cards. Eight to two, East Central. Kind of, uh, it was four to two until very late. They added some insurance runs in the eighth inning, but um, a tough way to go out because you know a historic season for Coach Willis's team, and and the record uh, was indicative of something more special than what ended up taking place in the postseason. Uh, so that was tough to swallow. A lot, a lot of tears on the field after that one. But sometimes that's happened, and that's happened to the Bengals before, where they've had a, a great regular season and and. They just have a, a bad day of baseball where the other team or the other team is just better for well, that and yeah. one day. And, and I don't think this team was better than them, to be honest with you, but I think uh, that's baseball would be the two words I would describe it. They, they lost two baseball games, and um, sometimes that happens. That sometimes it does happen. A man far wiser than his age would indicate. We do have a tremendous show lined up for you today. We're going to talk more baseball later on this hour. Houston Astros have won eight straight. 
We'll also dive into that with our first guest today, Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He'll join us to kick off hour number two at seven o'clock. Then hour number three will be kicking off with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake, Char- Lake Charles American Press, also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. McNeese begins their Southland Conference play tonight. They have to play in the single elimination round. Will the Cowboys get through, and can they actually make a run? And we'll also get Jim's thoughts on what happened with the softball team in Seattle. And then, of course, we'll talk NBA playoffs with our guy, Ali Cassell, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. So those are the guests that we have lined up today. But, of course, we want to hear from you. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off with the Western Conference Finals, which are now final. Early on, boy, LeBron was just taking over in this game. He was magnificent, especially in that first quarter. And he looked like he was going to be able to will the Lakers to a winning game four to avoid being swept. But Denver took LA's best shot in the first quarter and in the second quarter. But then came the third. And Denver just turned on a switch outscoring LA 36 to 16. They outscored the Lakers by 20 points in a single quarter. That was it, man. That was your turning point in the game. They were able to flip it and then they were able to hold on for the 113-111 win there in the fourth despite being outscored by 3 points. But they seized the momentum. They made the second half adjustments, as they like to say. And once again, you want to know why Denver's here. You want to know why the Nuggets are four wins away from winning their first world championship, hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy for the first time ever. Just take a moment to look at the box score. Yes, Jokic was triple-double, 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, also had three blocks for good measure. But what have Dawson and I been talking about for weeks upon weeks, if not a few months now? The quality of depth that Denver has. Gordon chips in 22 points. Michael Porter Jr. gives them 15. They get 25 from Jamal Murray, their other star. They get 13 points from Caldwell Pope. They only used a seven-man rotation last night. That's a very tight rotation, and they didn't need to use anybody else who, let's count them up, eight other players were DMPs. This is how good they are. And I, I don't think... Look, there, there's a lack of appreciation for Jokic to begin with. And there's been trepidation about this team for a couple years. But I go back to what was it, two seasons ago when Murray tears the ACL? 
and it changes their fortunes in that playoffs because they look like they were going to be a team that was going to ascend. And now he's back. And they've done a very nice job of building around their stars. Murray's a star. Is he a superstar? I don't think so. But I don't think that matters. It doesn't matter for Denver. They have a very laid-back, humble, two-time league MVP as their star. And they got a bunch of other guys that keep their egos in check because that's what's best for the team. Denver's old-school team basketball here. Everyone contributes. No one hogs the spotlight. And they have a superstar who, let's be honest, is slightly reluctant to be said superstar. Not because he doesn't like the competition, doesn't not because he isn't a dominant player because he is. He's just not a look-at-me type of personality. It's about winning. They are all business. And they play games too late at night for people to watch them. And they're in Denver and people don't care. The bandwagon fan doesn't know about them. But they are a complete team. And I know what the argument's going to be. RP3, they don't play a whole lot of defense. Yeah, you're right. They're not a great defensive team. The NBA has shied away from playing great defense for a long time now. Just has. They're going to outscore you. It's what they're going to do. And they're going to do so with guys that you may not even think about. Caldwell Pope? They're not expecting that guy to go out there and score double-digit points against them. And guess what? That's what he does. We've said it over and over again. How many of these games have all five starters scored in double figures? They buy into Malone's vision of how to run their offense. Murray is so good. And they have one of the best players in the league right now as the face of their franchise. And they have a bunch of other guys that all buy in. All check their ego at the door because, hey, we can do something special. Can't wait to, for them to face another team that is built the same exact way, by the way. But even has less talent than they do. <laughs> Just say it. Miami Denver is going to be an NBA Finals where you're going to go. People are going to scratch their heads. They're not going to know who the players are. They're only going to recognize a few of them. But you're going to see a lot of team basketball. You're going to see a lot of guys that put their ego at the door. I love that kind of thing. As for LA, LeBron finishes with 40 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, nearly a triple-double. They got contributions from their starters as well. 17 from Reeves. Schroeder gives them 13. But what did we say? What did we say about L.A.? They're only going to go as far as what, Dawson? He just wasn't that good either. Anthony Davis. I mean, and in a moment where you felt like LeBron is clearly trying to have this, like, I mean, again, you know, winning one game in this series wouldn't have been any sort of legacy situation, right? But no. LeBron's trying to have this all-time carry-him game, and all he needs is a little bit of help from his summer's number two guy, and 
He didn't get it. I mean, 6 of 15 from the field. He wasn't particularly effective. Um, he got to the free throw line a little bit and was able to knock those down. Outside of that, I mean, he was largely neutralized. And again, we talked about he was supposed to be the dominant force in this series. There wasn't supposed to be a matchup for him on the other side. And he didn't really he didn't really come to play in the biggest game of the... Well, I, I don't know. Again, this would have been one game in this series. He's it's always... A he, even when he gets... He got a double-double last night, right? But it's always a quiet... Right? It was a very quiet, like you were surprised. Oh, he got 21 points and 14 rebounds. Like, well, once again, we talked about it. He had he had to dominate for them to be able to win the series. He didn't. Once again, the lack of consistency. Look at the look at the other side. Who has been immensely consistent the last three years in the league and has been over-the-top consistent, in particular, this postseason. Jokic. Consistent. Consistently great. Night in, night out. Night in, night out. By the way, that's what it takes to win a title. Look at Golden State. They were great during their run. Night in, night out. Night in, night out. LeBron, when he's won his titles, has been dominant consistently. Night in, night out. It's what it takes. So if you're going to be the star... If you're going to be one of the faces of the franchise, guess what you have to do? You have to dominate. You have to be consistently great. Just not great for a game and then disappear and be okay for a couple games. You have to be consistently great to be a world champion. That's what it takes. And the Lakers are now eliminated. Hey, shout out to Tristan Thompson getting some run last night. Didn't see that coming, huh? A little 10 minutes off the bench. Well, LeBron, uh, the question started at, started arising there in the postgame presser, and he's um, supposedly considering retirement. I, I don't think he's done. I think he'll be back, but it was something at least first time he's uh, kind of acknowledged it in this way, I would say. Part of me feels like we're going to have this for a couple of years. Every offseason is going to be this new thing, right? Because well, then it's always been the idea that he wants to play with Bronny, right? Who's just now committed to to play college basketball. Does but, he? Well, that was that's been what he said publicly. That right, that was his that's goal. What he, but I do wonder, like, and this will take us down a rabbit hole that I wasn't planning on. But why would I get that you want to play with your kid? I, I get it. I do. Bronny's a a good player. Bronny's going to go to college and Bronny's going to be overdrafted because he's LeBron's kid. Let's have a real conversation. That's what's going to happen. And he's going to be drafted probably far higher than he needs to be so LeBron can have an opportunity to play with his son. And then when LeBron retires, it feels like Bronny's going to have to bounce around from team to team to try to stay in the league. I don't know if that's a great service to your son. I think he probably needs to be groomed a little bit in college to work on that game. That's just me. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. That was that's pretty. Um, it's just me. Pretty forward assumption from a guy who hasn't played a college game yet. But I mean, I see, I see the narrative. You're like, I see what you're going with that, and I could see that happening. But I think Bronny's story is yet to be written. I, I haven't watched uh, too too much Sierra Nevada, whatever high school he played at, tape. Well, of the guy, he is yet to ro- write his story. Others are trying to write his story. F- oh, and they including will. his father. They'll try to write it forever, and it's on. Un- <laughs> you know, so it's unfortunate, oh, in man. my opinion, 
you know the X and it, it look it is what it is when you're when your dad's the greatest potential oh, man greatest well, ever, it, like, it, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or if you're an entertainer right, right. being the kid is a, a immense a, a immense struggle right it's it's a different type of thing but the Lakers are done and they do have some questions this offseason I think LeBron comes back but who else are they going to help LeBron an aging LeBron and an inconsistent Anthony Davis I like some of the pieces they have. Reeves kind of had a breakout year, right? Uh, I think you can maybe have him be part of what you do. I, I didn't think D'Angelo Russell was terrible for them. He was the probably the best version of himself. You, do you maybe have something with Lonnie Walker the fourth? Maybe. But they need some other pieces. They really do. And look, to be able to get to the Western Conference Finals is a great accomplishment especially the way that roster is built and the way this team performed for the first half of the season. But credit Denver. Credit the Nuggets. They're great. Yeah. You're going to have to accept it. The Denver Nuggets have a great team this year. We got to take a timeout. Speaking of greatness, Houston Astros. Eight in a row, and they did so by clobbering the poor Milwaukee Brewers. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros, 12-2, shellacking of the Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee. 12-2, eighth straight win. By the way, this just in, Jordan Alvarez is good at baseball. In case you were wondering, he's really, really good at baseball. I know he gets overshadowed nationally, because he does. Because national scribes and talking heads trip over themselves or push themselves out of the way like you would at Target on Black Friday to write stories about Otani and his greatness and how we've never seen anything like it before. And Otani is great, and they're right. We haven't seen anything like it before. But Alvarez, the big fella, is absolutely phenomenal. One of the best hitters in the game. He just had a good old pedestrian two-home run, five-RBI night at the plate, including a grand slam. That's all. That's all. Just pedestrian night for the big fella. Eighth consecutive win. Alvarez hit a solo shot in the fifth and then capped a five-run outburst in the sixth with the bases loaded blast against Hobie Milner. He said afterwards, quote, I just felt very comfortable at the batter's box today, Alvarez said through an interpreter. 
I think when I get to the stadium and I feel comfortable at the batter's box, I think good things can happen. I was seeing the ball really well. End quote. I, I, I would say so. The game marked the third time in his career that Alvarez homered in back-to-back innings. He has 12 home runs this season. Over his last four games, Alvarez has gone 7 of 15 with three home runs and seven RBIs. It's just ridiculous. In addition to Alvarez, Corey Jolks, Martin Maldonado, and Dubon also went deep. Your boy Maldonado, he doesn't get a hit anywhere else. He'll go a week without doing anything at the plate, and then he just pops up and says, home run. Home run. He, he, he's, he's, like, he's like the guy in the slow-pitch softball league. It's about launch angle for that guy. <laughs> First of all, people bag on him for, for his, his lack of hitting, right? But it, th- this happened over the weekend. We didn't even get to it. Someone just shared a photo and said, you want to know why? people love this team loves them and they were all on the bump and Martin was the one talking and all the other guys were listening like he's 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 that leader he's that guy he's not flashy he's not a great hitter but you know what the pitchers trust him immensely and everyone in that everyone in that clubhouse listens to Maldonado you need those guys. But he got himself a home run last night. Alvarez, three for four with five RBIs. Jolks was three of five with three ribbies. Burns, meanwhile, the Brewers' ace allowed four home runs in a game for the first time in his career. The 2021 Cy Young Award winner hadn't given up three home runs in a start since 2019. I think it's time for us to have a conversation about Christian Javier. We've focused so much on the guys they don't have, right? Verlander left in the offseason to go sign a bunch of money to play for the mediocre Mets. Lance McCullers Jr., you're not for sure when he's going to come back. Jose uh, Jose Arquiti is going to maybe come back around the All-Star break. And Garcia is out for the year. Right, And we spend a lot of time talking about who's not there or who still hasn't come back. Javier last night struck out five, allowed four hits, one run, one walk, and six innings. Javier's worked 25 innings and yielded seven runs over his last four starts. He's 4-1 and one on the season. It sure does feel like we're seeing him, and I know it's early, but it feels like what we saw last year from Framer, where you started seeing go, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm starting to see kind of pieces to build up where the Astros go, hey, this is a guy here that can be like a 15-game winner for us. And we keep focusing on everyone, Dawson, that's not there. And we go, well, what are they going to do with Garcia? Or maybe are they going to trade for an arm at the trade deadline? Or who, what, one, of the, one of the young guys, whether it's Brown or France, who's going to be? Maybe the guy that's going to be their number two this year is the man that pitched 
last night. Well, he's rock solid, and and that's again like that's why when you're talking about what the Astros are doing right now, and and I you know this this comes from a place of I think real perspective. I'm not trying to be outlandish here. This is a dynasty. This is this is a modern day dynasty, and it's and six it's, straight ALCS appearances, four World Series trips, one two of them. Yeah, I would say yeah, that. and it's incredible what they've done in an era too of you know increase. You know, I don't know if I'd say increased parity, but certainly increased spending at the top, and the Astros are not the league leaders in spending every year. Um, but they have created this sustainable. And the other thing is, and, and we talked about this, we talked about it a little bit with Brett Chancy in the past, is you're not going to find them at the top of the prospect ranking database either, right? They don't go by the metrics that are maybe used to rank farm systems mm-hmm. and to rank players because they have their own method. And guys that are not highly touted, I mean, look, how many guys in this organization were not highly touted prospects? They've had their guys, their Bregmans of the world, who, you know, and Kyle Tucker to an extent, highly touted guys. But how many guys like Christian Javier and Framber Valdez and Jose Altuve, and the list goes on, guys international, that weren't supposed to be. Their international scouting department oh, is. Oh, best in the league, and it's not close. It's not right? close right? I mean, it, it's unbelievable how they've done that. And even, you know, their domestic prospect tracking as well. Like some of the guys, I mean, look at a guy like Jake Myers, who everyone hated in the offseason and. Look, I, I didn't understand the hate forever. He makes one of the best catches I've seen in a long time yesterday. Um, Corey Jolks goes three for four. He's hitting 270. I mean, this is a guy that nobody had on their radar. So, I don't know. It's just They find guys. It just continues to impress me. And, you know, look, it's been a treat being a fan of this team for so long. And um, Christian Javier is just another guy like that. And he's rock solid. And, uh, look, it was amazing that this guy didn't have a spot in the rotation last season for lo- no. March parts of the year, right? I mean, that that's where we were with this team. That speaks to how deep they were a year ago when you still had guys around, um, you know, that, that aren't there now in the picture. But he's he's that he's just that guy as far as being rock solid. And, look, I don't know if he's ever going to be a top-end ace. I don't even know if he's ever going to be, um, you know, a top-end number two. But he's going to be in the middle of your rotation, and he's never going to miss a start. Um, well, I shouldn't say that, but he hasn't <laughs> no, missed knock, a start knock, recently. Knock, knock on wood, yes. And he's going to get you four or five innings even in a bad outing, and that's just something like in today's Major League Baseball. I think that's that's not as appreciated as it once was, but it should be. And uh, yesterday was, you know, he just continues to be rock solid. He's on my fantasy team just, just eating up innings for my squad. So I appreciate that part of it as well. I think his floor is being a really good number three. I think his ceiling could be a good number two. And we're starting to see it like we did with Valdez last year where these guys that they've invested in is paying off, right? And he has just really kind of just stepped up. And they needed somebody to step up because McCullers is not back and Arquiti's going to be gone until the All-Star break. And they lose Garcia for the year. And the young guys have been pitching pretty well. Brown and, and Francis had his ups and downs, but they're young, right? And, and Christian's like, I got this. Like, okay. If Alvarez played in L.A. or New York, would he be a bigger star? Yes. Um, he would be the face of everything. Now, there's a couple things in play. and I, like, I The don't, language barrier is I was going to say, that's yes. certainly a factor. But, I mean, that's also a factor with Shohei. And we know we still see that, you know, he gets his due. Um but yeah, if he was in, I mean, but that that's that goes for anybody in any in any majors. How, how big a star would Jokic be if he played in New York or L.A.? Right? <sighs> it's true. It's true. I just think you know when we think of the best players in baseball nationally, 
It's Otani, it's Trout, it's Judge. Those are the three, right? Those are the three that they always always think about. And I get it, but Alvarez is just well, yeah, a monster. And, dude. and I think, look, and also part and of not, that. Look, I'm not an Astro fan, so please. Yeah, I know you aren't. I, um, I, oh, there it is. But, there it is. <laughs> no, but part of it, I think, too, and, and I'll be, if I want to be fair about the argument, I do A, I do think Otani's in a different category because of what he does on both sides. Uh, B, I think Trout and Judge give you a little more on the defensive side, and I think there's something to that. But as far as the best hitter, Jordan Alvarez is the best hitter in the planet. It's not close right now, in my opinion. Uh, nobody can swing the bat the way Jordan can. The numbers, the OPS, he's over 1,000 as he always – like, it's unbelievable. It's just ridiculous. And I would take if – if you had to give me one at-bat to win a baseball game right now, I'm picking Jordan, and I'm not sure I'm even hesitating. Um, and that's, that's certainly how I feel about it. It's amazing. Astros, they'll be back in action tonight. 640 first pitch from Milwaukee. Pre-game will begin at 6 o'clock, and we'll have that for you live right here on the game. Stroh's Brewers tonight. We got to take a timeout. When we return, oh, man, let's talk a little LSU baseball. They're gearing up for the SEC tournament. We'll also unveil our poll question of the day. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU Tigers. Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the McNeese Cowboys all begin conference tournament play this week. And we're going to dive into all three of those ball clubs and their chances for being able to make a run at their conference tournaments. Of course, McNeese is going to be having theirs there at Lake Chuck. At the Joe, Joe Miller Ballpark, they'll begin play tonight as they take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi. The Fighting Islanders! How about they rename all the Southland tournaments to the Cowboy Invitational? Oh, wow! Because they're all on the campus of McNeese. That's that's correct. That was part of the, that part of the deal, and that's a sensitive issue for many of the teams in the Southland Conference. By the way, many of them aren't thrilled that everything runs through Lake Charles. <laughs> not 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 thrilled about that. We'll dive into McNeese's chances with Jim Gazzolo when he joins us later on in today's show from the Lake Charles American Press and the McNeese Coaches Show. And we'll dive in next hour into the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Matt Deggs' team as they go over to Montgomery and play in the ballpark that's home to the Biscuits to see if they can do what they did last year, put on a magical run, beat the three best teams in the league en route of winning the conference tournament and punching their ticket to an NCAA regional. But we're going to start off talking LSU. Jay Johnson's team is an interesting spot. There's so many teams in the SEC, Dawson, that don't even need to do anything in Hoover to still be a national seed and be a host for the regionals. Including 
South Carolina who has to play in the single elimination portion of the tournament. Winner of South Carolina versus Georgia will face LSU tomorrow morning at 9.30. We'll have that game for you live right here on the game. Yeah, by the way, I just wanted to quickly throw this out there. The The winner of that Georgia-South Carolina game has a potential of playing at 9.30 in the morning three days in a row. Oh, gross. If things go there, <laughs> you know, not exactly their way, but somewhat their way, winning the first, losing Oof. the second. They just making breakfast and oh. baseball oh. Oh. a Oof. common theme. Oof. But so many of the teams, all top four seeds are going to be host regionals. I think Tennessee's probably going to sneak in there as well. And Auburn has a good chance if they win a couple games. So we have some teams that are going to be ultra-motivated in Hoover. They're at the Met to string together a run to be able to lock up being a regional host and maybe even a national seed. Others won't be as motivated. But I feel like the SEC tournament is absolutely wide open. It just is. Feels like it is completely wide open. And the SEC tournament is always filled with high drama. It's always filled with great weather, I say sarcastically. But you never do know. And say, for LSU, they're the three seed. They just wrapped up the regular season with the three-game series at Georgia, winning two of three. They already played South Carolina this season at South Carolina in a series that was not completed because of weather, and they split the two games. So it must be difficult to know how you're going to go into a tournament not knowing who you're going to play until less than 24 hours before. It's 644. Do you want your day to get better? I want my day to get better, yes. a guy who has to handle... Some of the uh, intricacies of, of of radio with with scheduling of broadcasts. Would you like your day to get a lot better? I'd love my day to be a lot better, please. Twenty percent chance or less of rain every day of the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Now that's what I'm talking about. We've seen weather change before, so that's the caveat I'll give. But it's looking very promising. Might get a little rain today. Um, okay. So they're, they're going to be dealing with that, but I, I think they should be able to get everything in. First game's actually going to get going at 9.30. As we mentioned, South Carolina and Georgia's playing today. Um, but after today, if 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 they avoid what, what should be doable, they are going to have some good weather over there in Hoover. Oh, there we go. Which also would lend itself to the Sunbelt Tournament, probably seeing a similar forecast, being how close it is. It's less than an hour away, yes. So they should be getting similar weather. That would be amazing. Thank you, Dawson. That makes me feel so much better. But how difficult is it to plan when you don't know who your next opponent is? And Jay Johnson spoke on that when he got with the media yesterday before they got ready to go on their trip over to Hoover, Alabama, where the SEC tournament, of course, is. Yeah, playoff playoff baseball. You know, we we make – the best uh the best assessment we can based on who they pitch on Tuesday and um you know we do have a benefit that we have um played both South Carolina and Georgia obviously just played Georgia pretty good idea what they'll do um you know they're starting Jaden Woods tomorrow um, who's coming off an injury so I'm sure we'll see one of the guys that we saw uh last weekend and you know South Carolina 
I haven't seen who they've decided to start yet. Um, but we'll go to work on that after the game on uh, Tuesday when we know who we're playing. Yesterday, it was announced that LSU had the hitter of the year, right? And the pitcher of the year for the SEC, or was it player of the year? Player, because I think it can be either if, yeah. if they choose. So Dylan Cruz was named the SEC player of the year. Paul Skeens was named the SEC pitcher of the year. No surprise, really. And we know both of those guys are great. And we know Dylan Cruz or Paul Skeens is going to be the number one or number two overall pick in, in this summer's Major League Baseball amateur draft. And Cruz was asked, you know, is this team right now, even though it's had some ups and downs and has had some lulls, especially late in the regular season, is this team the best equipped it is to make a run in Hoover? Yeah, I think so. I think so for sure. You know, I think we got a lot of experience underneath uh, on this on this team, we have a lot of experience on, on this team, and um, you know a lot of guys that can step up at any moment. Really, you know, um, you know we've had obviously, you know, we've got pitchers that can go in at any moment. They can start uh, at any moment. They're ready for that. They understand that, and you know we got guys in, on the, you know that's not starting on the bench that could that could really come in at any moment, any part of the lineup, and, and uh, have a big hit. Um, so I think, you know, that's what's going to take this team to the next level for sure. We mentioned Paul Skeens, great, right? Guy has been absolutely dominant, phenomenal season for the Tigers' ace. But we've talked a lot about that bullpen. It's not been what we call optimal, the way they perform when inserted into the game. And Skeens, the SEC Pitcher of the Year, was asked point blank, about the guys in the Tigers bullpen needing to step up in a big way. Yeah, I think guys like uh, like Thatcher Hurd, Gavin Guidry, uh, Griffin Herring, guys like that, um, who didn't necessarily know what their roles were going to be before the season. Um, they obviously have to play a bigger role now uh, with uh, with some other guys, some other key guys that are out, um, and they've done a really good job, I think. Um, I, I still firmly believe that we have the best staff in the SEC, and, and even without the the three guys that have gotten hurt, um, and so we just got, we just have to go out and prove it the next few weeks, um, you know, which is frankly the the weeks that really matter uh, in the season. So um, what what's happened up to this point doesn't really matter, um, and we just have to have some guys step up like like we know they can um, over the next few weeks, and and I think a lot of things are going to go right for the Tigers. LSU, once again, will play the winner of Georgia-South Carolina. They'll get started in Hoover tomorrow. Pre-game will begin at 9 o'clock, first pitch 9.30, and you can listen to the Tigers and their entire run at the SEC tournament right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Oh, poll question of the day. Which baseball team has the best chance to win its conference tournament? We just talked a little bit about LSU and the way the bracket has fallen for them. They'll play the winner of Georgia versus South Carolina in their first game tomorrow morning. Of course, we'll have that for you right here on the game. I think it's going to be a challenge for all three of our teams, just personally. Obviously, McNeese has the biggest challenge because they have to play from the single elimination part of the tournament, which is today, and then make their way through. But the Southland feels wide open. Like, it feels like any team can beat any team in that conference. And Justin Hill's team is playing at home for the entire conference tournament in their ballpark. That matters. So that could be a huge advantage for them. The Cajuns, yes, they have to face Texas State. It's always tough to beat a team four times. They just swept them. That's who they have to open up play with Wednesday night. And then if they win that game, we assume Coastal Carolina will be who they will face after that. In the winner's bracket portion of the tournament. And yes, Coastal's the number one overall seed. It's a tough, man, it's, it's going to be a challenge, right? Well, guess what? Last season, the Raging Cajuns defeated the three best teams in the conference tournament to win the conference tournament. Now, they had better pitching last year. I understand that. But they just proved they can do that. And they should have won that Coastal Series. And they should have won the Southern Miss Series. Now, they didn't, but they have the potential to do so. And when you get it to a conference tournament, it's all about just winning that game that day. That's all it's about. It's not about a series. It's a different mentality. And of course, LSU. They were, for the longest time, the number one ranked team in the country. They're the three seed for their own conference tournament. Do they have enough pitching to win the conference tournament? Or does it even matter? Because LSU sure does seem to me that they're locked in to be a regional host and a national seed. But the SEC seems to be kind of wide open too, right? So anything could happen. Which baseball team has the best chance to win its conference tournament? 39% of you say the Tigers. 25% say the Raging Cajuns. 18% of you say the Cowboys. And 18% of you say all will lose their conference tournaments. B-Rad says, I like the Cowboys' chances because the Southland is the weakest of those three conferences. Plus, McNeese has to win theirs or their season is over. A little bit more desperation there. Ton says, I don't think any are winning their conference tourneys. I'm afraid best chance would be the Cajuns, but I'm just not seeing it. I did see the Lakers get swept, though. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with Brett Chancey of Locked On Astros. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here on RP3 and Company. 
Ooh, don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Which team will win their conference tournament? Will be the Mid-East Cowboys who begin play today in the Southland Conference Tournament? Will it be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns who begin play tomorrow night over in Montgomery? Or will it be the LSU Tigers who begin play tomorrow morning in Hoover for the SEC Tournament? Go vote. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Got to make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Can't be getting sideways with these comments now. I don't need to have the social media police led by Detective Dawson Iserloh getting after you. You don't want any of that. You don't need that. No one wants that. We'll talk a little bit more about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and hear from Coach Matt Deggs later on this hour. But right now, we're going to stay on the diamond and talk about one of the hottest teams in baseball right now, the Houston Astros. They clobbered the poor Milwaukee Brewers last night. Jordan Alvarez had himself quite the day at the dish. And the Strohs have now won eight straight. And to join us to talk all things Houston Astros baseball is the man from the Locked On Astros podcast, Brett Chancy joins us. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing really good. After watching the Astros absolutely dismantle Corbin Burns and Jordan Alvarez continue to abuse baseball the way he's doing it, um, you couldn't ask for a better game. And look, the GOAT himself, Jose Altuve, had a rest day, and they still went off. Yes. they. And once again, in spite of everything that's happened to start the season with Bregman's slow start, with Abreu not showing up and getting extra base hits that he's being paid to, to do, with everything that's going on, Brantley being mysteriously absent, they've had all these other guys step up. And I want to get to those guys, but first I want to talk about Alvarez. Naturally, we spend so much time talking about Otani because what he's doing is special because he plays both ways. Mike Trout has been a guy that is considered the best hitter in baseball. Aaron Judge is in that conversation. Can you make an argument that Alvarez, the big fella from Cuba, is the best hitter in baseball right now? 100%. Because not only does he hit home runs, but he can also hurt you with a single to the opposite field. He can hit a double. I mean, he can do it all. He's a smart hitter. Um, I remember against the Phillies earlier this year, there was a night, uh, it was one of his last at-bats, and I forget who the pitcher was, but he threw him um, a pretty good curveball, and it was below the zone. He swung and missed, struck out. The next night, that same pitcher came in and threw him the same hook, and he golfed it out of Minute Maid Park. He figures things out. Like, once he realizes what it is you're trying to do to him, he then sets a course. And Jeff Bagwell talked about it last night on the on the, um, on the uh, broadcast that he said, Jordan Alvarez, last year when he – remember he got hurt midseason. He said he had just figured out what all these pitchers were trying to do to him. He said it would have been absolute scary had he not gone on the I.L., because right now he's got 14 multi-homer games. Jeff Bagwell has 31 multi-homer games over a career. Jordan Alvarez is just getting started compared to Jeff Bagwell's career. Alvarez has been just fa- uh, fantastic. They're getting contributions from Dubon and Jolks and others. 
What do you make of the fact that despite not being fully healthy, they're just finding these guys that can come in and give them two hits and come up clutch? Well, I think Dubon said it the best after the game. He said when Jordan hits, it's contagious. When Jordan starts going, everybody else seems to get on board. And, look, Corey Jokes, there have been a lot of people on social media saying, oh, the Corey Jokes experiment is over, all this stuff. We're, you know, When are you going to get Dubon in? And a lot of people were like, why don't you have Dubon at second, um, Altuve at DH, and so on and so forth. This team has just dialed in. And Mauricio Dubon, literally, this has been talked about maybe at nauseum, but had sat down and played dominoes, I believe, with Jordan Alvarez, where Jordan Alvarez has been mentoring him all year. And he was like, I don't want to give him too much credit. And he wouldn't say Jordan's name. And he kept using the word him, and he did this, and he did that. And Julius said, okay, if y'all don't realize who he's talking about, he's actually talking about Jordan Alvarez. He's not talking about anybody else because of the help he's given him this season. And so um, these guys are prepared. You know, look, Jose Abreu was at the ballpark four hours before the game yesterday taking BP. He got two hits. So you can't overlook that. Um they just know how to win. Jake Myers crashes into the center field wall. You're like, what are you doing, Jake? You're trying to kill your shoulder again. And then he hits a triple two innings later. So this team, once they find their stride, the league's been put on notice. And I hope the Rangers realize that the only way that this division is theirs, it's like they went to Easy Pond and got something um, – at a pawn shop, kind of on consignment. Because let me tell you, we're going to be taking the lead back here the next couple weeks. So enjoy a lot, last Rangers. You mentioned Alvarez working with some of the other younger guys. Uh, is there any possible way he can work with Abreu to help him out as well? Because in spite of everything else that's been going on with the injuries to Brantley and Altuve, we know Bregman is always a slow starter. They were kind of counting on Abreu to be able to kind of fill that role, and he's not been one of the guys. He's been on the struggle bus. Do you believe he can hit his way out of it, or do you think the Astros made a huge offseason mistake? No, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it an offseason mistake. I mean, I think you would have to have to go a full season, a zero show in the playoffs for you to really start even thinking about that. And I know for fans that's easier said than done because – when you pay a guy mentally, you're like, okay, we pay the guy. He needs to play. Like he needs to play up to his potential at least. And everything we're hearing from not only Dana Brown, but Jeff Bagwell, Alex Centron, um, Snitker, the uh, the Astros head hitting coach. This this guy's grinding. This guy is out there putting in extra work. He's just as belabored about the kind of slump he's in because right now I think it's between his ears, and that's what Bagwell recognized. The very first swing he took looked really uncomfortable, and he said, look, every hitter's been there, he will come out of it. Every hitter that's gone into that has come out of it. It's not going to last forever. He said, this guy, you just got to give him a chance. He's going to actually do his part. Well, Brett, J.P. France goes for his fourth start tonight. First two really good. Third one wasn't so great. Um, do you think that this is a big moment for him as far as factoring into the Astros' future plans, or are they still in wait-and-see mode? Oh, yes, 
um, J.P. France, well, look, I think he's going to have a bounce-back start, and J.P. France will figure it out. If if he pitches well enough this year, he could factor into the rotation next year. Now, what do they do at the trade deadline? Um, what are their plans after this year with him? I think with his experience in the minors, with the way he grinded, and what he what his feeling is, there is potential for a mid-rotation slot type of guy, but some other things have to fall into place. What I want to be concerned about with J.P. Francis here, is he going to give me five to six quality innings? Is he going to help extend the life of my bullpen and get me some wins throughout the season? He doesn't have to be Cy Young. He doesn't have to be Rookie of the Year. He just has to has to go out and do what the scouting report says he can do. He hides the ball well. When he places it well, he misses bats. He's got to do that. Well, we got to see the debut of Jose Altuve since we last spoke, and it didn't necessarily go tremendously well over the weekend, but he's a notorious slow starter. Uh, are you expecting Jose to come on soon here, or do you think it's going to be uh, more of a long process here? No, I, you know, I think he'll be fine. You know, I think for Altuve, it is simply a timing thing. He's, he's definitely not hitting the ball with weak contact. He's, he's making solid contact. The ball's jumping off of his bat. I mean, I can't imagine with a broken thumb coming back from that what that's like. And so, to me, it looks like the mental part of his game is there. He's smiling. He's having a good time. He's enjoying himself. And so I think you're going to see, you know, he'll be playing in this evening's game um, in Milwaukee, and then he'll be playing in tomorrow's game as well, and then they'll have the off day. So Dusty Baker's going to give him rest is going to work him in kind of slowly because really, you know, they weren't even done with spring training whenever he got injured. And so he didn't have a full spring training. So they're going to slowly work him in. The The, the power is there. The contact ability is there. I have no worries about Jose Altuve. Um, you know, he, he should be hitting high 200s. He, he could even go back to 300 this year if he just continues to do the work that he always puts in. We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and company. I want to talk about Christian Javier because he's just been so kind of rock solid in his career so far with the Astros since being called up in 2020. And, you know, he's been part of the World Series. He was part of two combined no-hitters last season. But it feels like the start to this season, Brett, Four and one now, ERA around three, really solid guy. It feels to me like what we saw from Framber the last couple of years, where we start seeing someone ascend and really kind of sees being this team's number two guy. Is it too is it premature to proclaim that, or am I kind of on the right pathway? You are. You hit the nail on the head. Um, Chris and Javier, not only has the confidence, but he, I mean, he has the stuff. I, the very first article I ever wrote about the Astros a few years ago was, was about the invisible with Christian Javier. Maybe I need to do a invisible 2.0 and put that up as my next article. I've been so busy with school lately, but yeah, I think that's going to be, be my next article. Um, you know, how, how this invisible and, and how this guy's pitching style really 
seems to mystify hitters because you'll notice, I mean, he misses bats a lot. He induces a lot of swings and misses. Yeah, he is a fly ball pitcher from time to time, but he's got this uncanny ability to literally hide the ball until the ball is coming out of his hands. And that for the, for, that for the batter is, is just, it's, it's kabuki stuff. It's like, man, I don't even know, I don't even know what's coming at me. This is witchcraft, you know? And so he is mentally strong, which I think adds to his fools physically. This guy easily is the number two guy. Remember Valdez, if, if they don't get him signed um, to somewhat of a long-term deal or, you know, five-year deal, I'd be really disappointed because to have Framber and Javier and behind them you have this young Hunter Brown. I mean, this rotation, we don't even have three of our pitchers. Top two, top three, I would, I would put up against anybody in Major League Baseball right now. When we speak next week, Brett, the day after Memorial Day weekend, Will the Houston Astros be atop the AL West standings and having caught and surpassed the Texas Rangers? Yes. I mean, I look, um, the Rangers lost a close game last night. Their bullpen imploded again. And I and I told people, look, let let the Rangers have their success. You know, the one thing the Rangers have done that the Astros haven't done is they scored a lot of runs against bad teams. Where the Astros have started beating bad teams, they didn't score that many runs against the Oakland A's. They should have put a 10 spot on them all three games. They didn't. But what the Astros have that the Rangers don't have and never have had is the bullpen. The bullpen is stellar. The Astros starting ERA is second, I believe, in Major League Baseball. So as long as their pitching holds the line, the Astros' offense can make up ground there. We may not have a 100-plus, 108-plus run differential, but we're going to start to shrink that gap because this team is built for October where the Rangers, they're still missing some pieces. Look, they'll get there eventually, but it's not going to be much longer. Uh, Rangers, you've been warned that objects in mirror may be closer than they appear. Once again, Strode's Brewers Game 2 of this series, and you'll be able to listen to it live right here on the game tonight. Pre-game Astro launch begins at 6 o'clock. Robert Ford, Steve Sparks on the call. First pitch, 640. Brett, appreciate you, Tom, as always. Brother, we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Enjoy your holiday weekend, my friend. Hey, thank you so much. And hey, make sure y'all check us out on YouTube. We got a new setup. We got some new graphics. We're kind of, we're looking real like, we're looking big time. So you guys go check us out, subscribe, tell your friends about us, and we'll be, we'll be starting some giveaways soon. So you got to stay tuned in. We got some bobbleheads, some World Series rings to give away. It's going to be a lot of fun this summer. Thank you, Brett. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. 
Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Just a reminder that Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Of course, I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3. I'm joined by Dawson Iserlow, the producer extraordinaire. All right, bud, I I need you to explain something to me because even though I may be older, it is well known that you are a young man who has two degrees and you're wise beyond your years. So I need some help with something. Okay, I need okay. I need you to help the old man who struggles sometimes to put his pants on in the morning. Okay, you ready? Yes. All right. So, the Boston Celtics, after getting embarrassed in Game Three of this series, and really the entire series, they trail the Miami Heat three games to none. Correct. That is uh, correct. Th- this is accurate information. Okay. So, yesterday. They were still being touted as the favorite to win the series. I know where you're going with this, and 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 it's yeah, not exactly it, but yes. Now that's changed this morning. They're actually the underdogs, so enough money has been bet that that line has changed a little bit, but. Explain to me why Vegas, and in particular why our uh, national folks believe that the Celtics, despite being punked and being outplayed and outcoached for three games and down three games to none, were still the favorites to win their series. Well, it, where you're getting that series logic is is from the ESPN kind of analytic thing that I've talked about last year that just loved the Celtics and continues to love the Celtics. Um, they're not favored by Vegas to win the series, and I actually hadn't even seen them favored to win the game um, much. Now, I guess, again, those lines have fluctuated. They might have been favorites for, for a limited amount of time, but... Um, no, overall they're not they're not favorite. Like you, you wouldn't get plus odds uh, to bet them to win the series. So, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. This well, this is why I asked right. you these things. But why would they think that? Take Vegas aside. Why would the analytics show that? This is where I get confused with analytics yeah, because some models I watch the games right, and I watch the two teams play basketball. And one team is clearly the more motivated team that executes their game plan better and is better coached and better prepared, and that's why they're up three games to none. Do the analytics not include any of what I actually see with my eyeballs? Right. Then No. I mean, it depends, obviously. Some analytic tools are better than others. I, I think it's just a weird it, – It's it's ESPN's analytics have always been a little interesting when it comes to basketball, and again, they've – it's this kind of outdated basketball power index rating that, look, I don't think anybody within the game really really looks at that with any sort of seriousness, right? It's just kind of one of ESPN's outdated tools that they've had. Um, but it loves the Celtics for whatever reason. I think, you know, some of it's efficiency-related. And, and, again, it's also factoring in the entire season and not, like, an okay. emphasis on recent All stuff. Right. But 
Um, no, I don't think that's a tool that like if you if you're talking about real basketball people and GMs and stuff like that, I don't think anyone's paying any attention to the ESPN BPI. It's 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 a bit of an outdated outdated analytic, but they still put it out there. And uh, much like their projection of who's going to draft Will Levis, like it just doesn't have a lot of validity. <laughs> Which, by the way, again, like that just that 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 graphic made no sense. Like, what do you mean projected chance to fall out of the first round? It's about humans making decisions. There's no projected model. Like, I don't know. And it's also about not only humans making decisions, but also humans playing a game, right? And yeah, well, I that's mean, that's that's the part, and you can't really put mental toughness in an analytical form correct right well that's why no no analytic is perfect correct. but they can be useful and you know in the right situation i am not baseball par- has a lot out, more i am not anti-analytical guy right no okay and I it has its place i think just like anything else when it gets overused and over relied upon you get into a, a spot where you become a little dangerous with it because it's not exactly going to be accurate, right? You can overdo it, just like with anything else, right? So analytics does have its place, but I just, you know, that's why I was curious. I mean, down three games to none, and the analytics were showing that Boston still well, had the and, better and, chance and, to win the actually, series. And it's actually, so 31% too is, is, the, is what the ESPN BPI was giving um, Miami to win the series. Uh, I mean, giving Boston to win the series. So still, it was less than 50%. They weren't projecting it. But like 31% chance, it would still be ridiculous, like given the scenario <laughs> they're in, right? So Now, let me ask you this. Does Boston stave off elimination tonight when they meet in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals down on South Beach. Yeah, I think they get this one. I and and I don't I mean, but I wouldn't be confident in saying that. I wouldn't be, you know, I I don't I don't bet, but I wouldn't be putting money on it, but um It feels like they should win, right? It feels like they're, they're they can't go out getting well, and, swept. And what you saw like you saw the classic performance last night from the Lakers where you go out and you play with a lot of energy even though you're down 3-0, you know, you don't want to get swept. It's kind of that that uh, I don't know if it embarrassment comes into play, right? But you just want to you want to show that you're not that team that's going to get swept. But then the Lakers couldn't even get it done because I think Denver's that much better. So I think Boston still has more talent. That's not lost in all of this. So I have a feeling they go out and kind of put on you know a performance to try to you know gain some of their uh, confidence and, and avoid a little bit of a you know what, yeah it would be a little embarrassing for them to get swept, right? So I think they play well tonight, but. You know, I just don't think they're able to do that four straight games. And and again, like in these playoff series, you already have to win a couple close games usually anyway in a series to try and get things to go your way. They haven't done that, and they haven't really been all that close in a couple of them. So I think they get one tonight, but I think that might be all they get, to be honest. It does feel like Miami's going to win that series. I like the Heat to win that series. And look, I think tonight's a coin flip game. It's, it's your backs against the wall. You're the most talented team on paper and a lot of people expected you to win the whole thing and to get swept in the Eastern Conference Finals by the eight seed would be that would be a tad embarrassing and I just feel like you know I know we got to hit a timeout here the team chemistry and the coach that 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 has seemed off for a while that's part of it but who decided who on the team has decided to step up and pull 
Roberto aside and say, hey, bud, you know how you decided to poke the bear against Jimmy Butler the other day? He decided to get in his face and talk trash, and, 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 then, and then he went off and became a man possessed. Um, can you not do that anymore? Who on the Celtics is take, is stepping up to do that with Mr. Williams? And go, um, can you not provoke Jimmy Butler? Because that's not how that guy is built. Like, you think you're tough? You think you can talk trash? That's not the guy to do that to. Like, <laughs> it always kills me. Like, when Lance Stevenson did it back in the day to get to LeBron. I was like, really, dude? Yeah, really? Really? Okay. You let me know how that works out for you. It didn't work out too well for the Pacers back in the day. We're going to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Raging Cajuns baseball team, they're headed to Montgomery. Can they put together another magical run like they did last year when they beat the three best teams in the conference tournament to win the tournament and go to an NCAA regional? We'll hear from Matt Deggs, who spoke to the media yesterday. That's next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. D'Lo, you're a young whippersnapper, right? Got your whole life in front of you. You're what? Only like what? Like a, a day over, like, you know, a biscuit over 21. I mean, what's the deal? Right, right? 24, something like that. Yeah, it's in that neighborhood. There we go. Are you, are, are you really like 32? You just haven't told me? Did you lie on your resume? No. <laughs> so you're what? You're 24, 25? Yeah, I don't know. Last I checked, it was somewhere in that area. Quarter century, somewhere a little less than that. <laughs> so there's about 20 years difference. Let me tell you something. You'll learn when you get older to appreciate the moments, to appreciate the small things. It's no longer about the big things in life, right? The big moments. When you're younger, you think about all the things that you want to accomplish. You think about your career. You think about your status and how much wealth you can accumulate and, and, and all those things. But when you get older, things change. And it's all about the small moments. And I had one of those yesterday. So I've been working a lot of late. Been doing things not only here, but also with uh, my church and everything like that. So I've been spending a lot of time working. So got to yesterday, go pick up my daughter from school, which I always love to do. And I decided to give her a treat. And you know what she loves to do? A, she loves ice cream. Boom. That's an easy thing. But she loves coming here. And for whatever reason, she loves to come to my office. Always has, even when she was e even smaller. So we drove up, and I needed to pick up something here. So that became like a little 15 to 20-minute excursion back here at the office and she got to say hi to everyone and got to introduce herself to people that she didn't know and then tell stories some about me 
uh, she kept bringing up the 5K and how she left me in the dust, which was a direct quote, by the way. You'd be proud of that, as she still remembers leaving me in the dust. And she did. And she did. Yes, yeah, she said she did. But then it's, it's something small, right? It's just like coming here. She wanted to say hi to some people. She did a little drawing. It, she walked around. We left here, and then we went across the street and got some ice cream. And got a little thing of ice cream, and we just sat and had ice cream, and I put my phone down and wasn't concerned about work or wasn't concerned about anything. It was just hanging out with my daughter. And it's those little small things like that that you that makes you appreciate what you have. We, we spend so much time, especially in the world of sports, right, focusing on the end goal, focusing on championships, focusing on this and status and everything. Yesterday was a perfect example for me personally just to sit back and go, you know what? It's all about these type of little moments. What, what a well-thought-out segment out of nowhere. That wasn't on the rundown, by the way. Um, but, no, I don't, I don't have much on that. That's That sounds just incredible. Saying. Just saying. It, it, w- words of wisdom from someone who's a little bit older, just yeah. enjoy the small moments because I, at the end of the day, those are the ones that really matter. Absolutely. No, I mean, well said. Thank you. Thank you. Now, hopefully – for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they're going to have a moment to remember or two or three as they head over to Montgomery for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Now, we remember last year what Matt Deggs' team did. They got hot late in the season, and then they were on fire for the conference tournament, which they won. They took out the three best teams in the conference tournament last year to win the whole thing and to punch their ticket to the NCAA Regionals. Now, Last year's team had better pitching, and last year's team didn't have to possibly face off against Southern Miss. The conference got better this year, top to bottom, with the additions, with the realignment. That said, so many of these guys, in particular their hitters, remember last year, were part of what they did last year. And the way this team played late in the season, you have to feel pretty confident. Yes, they lost the series to Southern Miss, but they battled. They could have easily won two of three against the Golden Eagles in Hattiesburg. The week prior, they swept Texas State. And that's who they'll face tomorrow night to start off Sunbelt Conference tournament play. And Matt Deggs was asked about his team gearing up for the conference tournament yet again. Was asked what their mindset is and the skipper was very much straight to the point with his answer. Oh, just the same as it always is, Megan. Go down there and play hard, have fun, fly around, we're fast, hard, and loose, and see if we can catch fire and keep this thing rolling. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I, I respect Matt Degg so much because there are many times where he is just all about business, right? He is not a guy that loves to hear himself talk. He's just not. There are times where I believe that he's just annoyed by having to talk to us all together, and I can respect that. A lot of people in the media get very sensitive about those things. Well, you know, he was a little rough around the edges, or she was rough around the edges, or she was combative, or he was combative. Look, man, it's your job to report on what the coach says. And sometimes the coach is going to give you a great answer. Sometimes the coach is going to give you a great sound bite that's going to be like a minute and a half and it's going to be filled with all this great stuff. And there's going to be some times where the coach is like, you know what? Play that clip again for us, D'Lo. Play what Matt Diggs had to say about what the team's mindset is. 
Oh, just the same as it always is, Megan. Go down there and play hard, have fun, fly around, we're fast, hard, and loose, and see if we can catch fire and keep this thing rolling. Boom. That's exactly what the team's mindset is, by the way. If you interact with the Cajuns, you watch this team play this season, Dawson, that's their mindset. They very much are a representation of their skipper. That's yes. how they are. No, they are. They are. And, I mean, look, it's it's uh, it's it's different going back to an event like this when you've done what the Cajuns did last year. There it is. Um, and most of these guys <clears throat> on this roster, I'd say a, a large majority of them were a part of that run. And that changes things. Now, it's a different format. It was not supposed to be single elimination last year. That actually maybe played into the Cajun's hands a little bit. I would agree with that. Yeah, that was an advantage. It's going to be double elim now. There's more teams involved, and there's maybe better teams involved, as you mentioned. But the other thing about this team right now is that coming into the conference tournament, they're playing probably even better than they were when they went into the tournament last year. And Coach Deggs talked about that yesterday as well. Well, we've been playing good, Megan. It's uh, That was a heavyweight title fight. And they had a great atmosphere and a lot going on. And uh, I thought our boys responded to the challenge and, and it came down to the last couple of innings uh, to win that series and was kind of back and forth the entire time. They've got a good ball club. We've got a good ball club. And uh, we need to make this our time of year and make a good long run. You know what also makes conference tournaments interesting is that we heard it earlier from Jay Johnson, the LSU skipper, is you don't know who the opponent is. And, and we hear coaches talk about this all the time, and we groan, members of the media and fans, we groan, right? Because we hear it as coach speak. Well, we're not worried about the opponent. We're just worried about ourselves. We go out there and we take care of business. We focus on what we need to do, right? We're not worried about the opponent. The opponent's irrelevant. We just need to work on what we need to do. And we always go, uh, oh, oh, yeah. But guess what? That's exactly the mentality you have to have for a conference tournament because there's not time off in between to game plan. There's not special things you can work on. You can't sit there and set your rotation, Dawson, because, oh, well, it would be better served if we could have so-and-so pitch against so-and-so because you're in a tournament. You don't know who your opponent's going to be until you actually find out who it's going to be. So you can't focus on the opposition. Your focus has to be executing what you want to do period no matter who you're playing that's what I you have to do and I'm, i know y'all hear me say this a lot i don't think the team matters it's it's uh in a tournament or a regional or any type of tournament uh you got to beat them all and so you know you can't really pick and choose well let's play them first i think it's uh go in pitch it defend it and keep swinging the bats this is exactly what you have to do it's coach speak, but it's coach speak for a reason because it works. It's correct. Cajuns, once again, open up Sunbelt Conference Tournament play against Texas State. That'll be tomorrow night. Scheduled for 730. Eh. <laughs> it's probably going to be more like 9 o'clock. It'll be a late night tomorrow night. But, look, they have all the talent and they have the experience to make a run. They do. They absolutely do. We'll see if Matt Deggs' team can do just that. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up our number two. You're listening to the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed. Twice. In the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, poll question of the day. Which baseball team has the best chance to win its conference tournament? Woo! Duking it out here in the poll question of the day. 34% of you say the Raging Cajuns. 34% of you say those LSU Tigers. 17% say all will lose. And 15% say the McNeese Cowboys will have the best chance to win their conference tournament. Salty Steve says, does it really matter for the Tigers? It matters for UL and McNeese. One thing for sure, the Tigers need to get their pitching staff innings in this tourney. JPK, the OD, says, get ready for LSU starting pitching and bullpen to get exposed in the conference tournament. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter for the poll question of the day. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Right now, though, we'll head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, bud? Morning, morning, morning. Going to these tournaments, uh, I, I started saying, last week I, I realized that, hey, Texas and Oklahoma are coming into SEC. Then, yeah, I, I, I know all that, but then I realized they're going to be in softball yeah. also. And my question to you is, do you think, I, mean, I think SEC is a stronger conference than the Big 12, um, I, especially on the, on, the, on the top end. Uh, you know, the, the Big 12 has Oklahoma, uh, Texas, and Oklahoma. Um, LSU has, you know, six, seven, eight teams that, that could do damage. Do you think that Oklahoma is going to raise the level of play in the SEC or they're just going to keep dominating? Because, you know, instead of winning, losing one to two games a year, you know, could it be the possibility of having to run the gauntlet of the SEC? They'll now be losing three, four, or five, but still be dominant and, you know, can win it, win it all. Well, Reynolds, uh, I appreciate the phone call, brother. Let me answer that. Have a, a tremendous day. Hey. Look, Oklahoma is the standard nationally. They are the juggernaut. They are a team that has won five national championships, and four of those have come since 2013. They also have two runner-up appearances during that same stretch since 2012. They are the standard. As many good teams as we may have on the softball side in the SEC, they're not on the same level as Oklahoma. They're just not. So where Texas and Oklahoma will struggle, I anticipate moving over for football, playing in the SEC, I don't think it's going to matter for Oklahoma softball. Yeah, they may lose a couple more games, but you know what? Oklahoma State's a really good softball program as well. So they play good competition. I don't think they're going to have any problems whatsoever making the transition over 
to the SEC. It's only going to help the SEC. It's going to help all the rest of the teams in the SEC when it comes to softball. And when they make that switch, it'll be tougher for the football programs, Oklahoma and Texas. I think basketball, I, I don't think it really matters. I think they'll be able to make the transition fairly well. But the Actually, Sooners are the standard. It might get easier in basketball. The Big 12 is pretty loaded right now Correct. in basketball. So I think it'll be a little bit easier of a transition for them. But Oklahoma softball, they're going to have no problems. I would, I would go as far as to say I would expect them to come in and, and win the conference because they're just that good. They are an absolute juggernaut is what they are. They are the standard. A good phone call by Rental. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, how we're going to kick it off. How about with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press and the host of the Mean East Coaches Show talking all things Cowboys. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, the final hour of RP3 and Company has arrived on this Tuesday edition. It's been tremendous so far, mainly because of what Dawson Iserlow, the producer extraordinaire, brings to the table. Man's, man's got laser focus. Comes in, delivers, doesn't make a lot of fuss. You know, he's, he's kind of bring his lunch pail to work type of guy, right? Doesn't need to be praised, yet I praise him anyway. Great job today, bud, so far. Thanks, you know. Just punching the time clock. Just just getting after it. Um, just hard nose, eyes eyes down, head up, um, everything else that coaches say. You were probably a very coachable young man, weren't I'd you? I'd like to think. You know, the the roughest year, honestly, of me being coached was the year my dad coached me in Little League football. And he, he, he maybe if he's able to stop by the station, he could tell some of those stories. But um, when it wasn't him, I was very, very coachable, yes. Did your father ever pull you aside and go, Son, I'm the Iceman. You're embarrassing me. Stop it. Uh, Get it together, son. Suck it up. Let's go. I don't think he ever name-dropped his nickname, but um, <laughs> this, a similar sentiment was probably said a couple times at practice when I wasn't, you know, giving forth my best effort. There it is. There it is. We'll, we'll have those, st- uh, those stories shared here on RP3 and Company or sometime on the game because we are working on getting Papa Iserlow on the show. Coming up on today's show, half an hour from right now, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, Ali Cassell, will join us to break down the NBA playoffs. One team has already punched their ticket to the NBA Finals as the Denver Nuggets swept the LA Lakers last night. Miami Heat, they're up three games to none on the Boston Celtics. Will they be joining them tonight? And we'll talk about that coming up. But right now it's time for us to talk all things McNeese Athletics. With the man who covers the Cowboys, the Cowgirls for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of Poke Nation and the McNeese Coaches Show. It's our good friend Jimmy G from LC himself, the great one. Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Raymond. How are you? 
I'm doing tremendous. I get to talk to you today, bud. So automatically, wow, my day know, just got you better. Talked about how a terrific show it's been. We're just going to change that right now. <laughs> it's time for it to go in the tank. Here it comes. Yeah. Time for the tank. Hey, bud. Just wanted to let you know. Um, your Chicago White Sox are playing better baseball. They're six and four in their last ten, bud. Yeah, they're healthy, and uh, they'll, they'll be fine as far as that goes. I think they dug themselves too big of a hole, but it's a bad division. Always remember this one thing. At least you're not the Kansas City Royals. Just take great pleasure in that. I take great pleasure in the fact that at least I don't pay $20 million to Jose Abreu. <laughs> yeah, you were. I remember when that deal went done, and you texted me, and you're like, uh, n- n- not upset by that. <laughs> He weren't nope. all that upset. White Sox fans were not all that upset when Jose left. All right, bud. Let's start off with McNeese baseball. They have to play tonight because things did not go their way. They did not control their own destiny, so to speak, as they didn't get to play a conference series game in the final week of the regular season. And now they have to play essentially in the play-in tournament for the conference tournament, which they will host. They'll take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi, the Islanders tonight, there at the Joe. What's going to be Justin Hill's game plan with his staff? And do you feel confident that the Cowboys can make a run in their conference tournament? Ooh, uh, he will go with a staff, a uh, whole staff ready. But it will be Grant Rogers, the ace, to start it. In a way, it breaks down to maybe a benefit that um, Rogers could come back on Saturday if needed with almost full rest. So maybe it ends up being there, but you got to get to Saturday, and I don't know if there's enough arms to get to Saturday once we get this double elimination. I, I just don't I don't see it. It hasn't been there all year. So they will pitch Rodgers some today, but they'll pit, put him on a pitch count is what you're saying? No, I think they'll pitch him as much as possible, and the, the belief is because he only pitched three innings last week, he could start and give him maybe five on Saturday. Okay. Uh, the problem, and, and Abraham will be the guy to back him up. If you need to go and use Grant Rogers and, and Ty Abraham, your best two pitchers today, just to get into the plane, uh, just to get in the double elimination, there ain't a lot of arms left. That's had great success this year. It, it becomes a very questionable, how do you get through a couple of games? So long run, could they win tonight? Yeah, I think they'll win tonight. Long run, I don't. I don't see a long run coming. But the counter-argument would be they have and could beat any team in this tournament, but the flip side to that is anyone could win this conference tournament that's in it, yeah. right? It's a completely Anybody. wide open. Anybody. And uh, so I, the problem I've seen with them is what I've seen with the rest of the league, inconsistency on a game-to-game basis. So you're asking me, do I see them – putting together four straight days of good baseball? No, because I haven't seen it all year. Well, Jim, um, I called the Region 23 tournament in junior college baseball last week, and I thought it was going to be the last time I ever saw a six-team unbalanced double elimination bracket that has flipping the bracket in play and kind of unfair advantages built into it. Why did the Southland Conference decide to have their tournament format be so annoying? That's a great question. Uh, I, I, I return it to whatever something silly happens in the league. I say it's the Southland. Um, so many other ways they could have gone. Eight teams. Just let one more team in. Uh, 
16, how about just four teams? But I think what they are three playing games. But I think what they did is this is they leave it up to their coaches. And for some reason, this is the formula the coaches came up with after having a terrific last year, mind you, where they did a double elimination 214 bracket and then went to a two out of three championship series the following week. It was great. It worked well. I think it'll go to that in the future. But we come back to this, which is just, I, I don't know. We have to, The bracket is so weird because there's ifs, there's three teams remaining. If there's, I don't know what anybody plays after the first day. No, and, and what you're, yeah, look, it, we did it all last week in Region 23. And essentially, if a loser's bracket team wins, it's going to mess up everything because they're going to beat a team everything. that's 1-0 and everything's going to flip upside down. But anyway. Um, on yes. to other kind of uh, confusing results. The McNeese softball team, I mean, it's just gut-wrenching what took place in, in Seattle. There's no two ways about it. And they played as about as well as you can in a tournament like that without winning. Um, what happened in that seventh inning? Uh, everything went wrong. Uh, I think I think James Landrieu was a little late with the, with the pitching change. I think that they backed up and played soft. They made... Uh, and they made a, a mistake at third base. They made a mistake at shortstop. Um, for the first time, their their defense got kind of split in the outfield when they had played so well of holding people to singles. A, a lot of things that went wrong, a couple of walks. I looked at it this way. They played Washington four times this year, number seven team in the country. For 20 of the 28 innings, they completely kicked their tail. But they lost one game in the regional three to one. And that was tough. But then what happened to the seventh inning is unexplainable. And it is, it is a course changer for not only them, but for UL as well, because they were going to host. And that would have been a really interesting local rivalry regional or super regional. And we didn't get it. And I think, you know, you get to a point where maybe they were counting their, the, the outs instead of worrying about getting outs. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of Poke Nation and the McNeese Coaches Show. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I, I listened to Coach Langerno's postgame presser, as you did, Jim, and you know he was very frank. He said, look, it's a seven-inning game, and basically said that they just didn't get it done. And, and it's not to take away from what they accomplished this year, another 40-plus win season. And uh, look, no Southland Conference team – had ever even forced a game seven in a regional, right? That, that's never happened yeah. before. But to be three outs away or even, what, one more run away from run ruling? <laughs> yeah, them, one, one, one swing. One swing away from going to the Super Regionals for the first time ever. How does Coach Landrineau in this program get over that? Because this is like – Falcons 28 to 3 Super Bowl type of thing. Like this is something that's going to haunt them for a while. Yeah, this is this is a this is a tough one. Look, they were I said it before, they were six different times, maybe seven different times a play away from a super regional and they didn't make any of them. And that's tough. The problem you have now is Okay, they got to last year. They got to the regional final, and it was okay. Now we want to win a regional. This year they get to Game Seven of the regional final, but it was one. It wasn't. We we have another step to go. We're not good enough. It was one, and teams don't always recover from that real quickly. 
The question I have is what comes back? And down in the world of NIL, a lot of these players performed on the big stage. And they got their name out there. Is somebody going to come and take them and McNeese loses? Because it's a very young team. McNeese loses some of the pieces that they have built on the last two years. And what kind of a team comes back? And, and that's that's the biggest issue. Does James Landry don't come back? Because he's now done this twice with a mid-major. Um, does he come back even, even a better percentage he comes back because they didn't win it? There's a lot of things that I think is going to make this an interesting summer for softball because of that. And I really want to see if the, if the NIL deal comes in and bigger schools like an LSU or that, that they played well and beat this year say, Hey, you know, come, come down here. We got some money for you. I want to go back to baseball briefly. Rumor mill has swirled about Justin Hill being a prime candidate for the Southeastern Louisiana vacancy. Uh, it's a two part question. Do you think, there's any realm of possibility that Justin would leave Lake Charles to go to Hammond to take over a program that's really on equal footing with his own? And what is going on with the Southland Conference getting rid of coaches that lead teams to unprecedented success? Well, let, let's let's address the first one, last one first. Uh, this is the Will Wade factor. <laughs> this is this is he Shore paying people like never before McNeese getting named guys in here, and flipping the switch into a must-win situation. Um, you get rid of John Aiken with a year left on his I – mean, you're buying out a baseball coach who has the most wins in school history that won a championship last year. That's what Southeastern is doing. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard of that, especially in baseball. So uh, I think that we have flipped the switch into a competitive issue that's never been before. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out on all levels. Uh, as for your your first question, yeah, I think he, I think there's look if they're going to pay more money, uh, why not? And if it's a substantial amount of money, and I've heard that might be, um, why not? I, I think uh, I, can you take like can you take McNeese State baseball? Any anyway, there's still no locker room for baseball. There's a lot of money invested in baseball at Southeastern that isn't invested in, in McNeese. Maybe he thinks it's time. Um, I could see, you know, I think he'll pick up the phone if somebody calls. Uh, now, he's got family here. His wife is, has a business here. That may change it. That may reflect on it. But sure. I, I Nothing surprises me anymore, Raymond. Nothing. The winningest coach in program history. That's led them to NCAA regionals, leaving to go possibly coach in the same conference against a rival. Oh, that would be taking the job of a coach that has the most wins in program history. He's three twenty four and two something. I mean, he is. This isn't like he had one good year. Southeastern's been a good baseball program for the ten years he's been there. Uh, This is a shit. This is. Unless there's something more to the story, I'm shocked. Well, brother, we're never shocked when you join us on Tuesdays and deliver the goods on all things McNeese. Thank you for your time, bud. No, thank you, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Jokic is just so special. We talked about him getting the triple-double in last night's closeout game for the Nuggets over the Lakers as they complete the sweep and send LeBron James and Anthony Davis home packing. He has now passed Wilt the Stilt. For you younger people, that's Wilt Chamberlain, by the way. Passing Wilt Chamberlain for the most triple doubles in a single postseason. He now has eight this year. Eight! Wilt the Stilt had seven back in 1967. Magic Johnson had six in 1982. He still has at least four games, if not more, to play in this postseason. Oh, man. And if they play Miami, who's going to stop him? I mean, Bam will get the assignment, I'd imagine, for much of it. Can Bam – you're not going to be able to stop him. I think Bam's more equipped than a lot of his other matchups. I would agree with that. In this postseason. I would agree with that. Now, can he prevent him from – I don't know, that's intriguing. I mean, this guy is on an absolute tear. Eight triple-doubles in the postseason so far. Can Bam keep him in check? I don't know. And then it comes down, if it is going to be Miami, once again, the Heat will play tonight in their game four, looking for the sweep of the Boston Celtics. If Miami can find a way, whether it's tonight or whenever it may be, is their defense good enough, Dawson, for them to say, okay, Bam's going to be matched up on Jokic, and let's say he can just slow him down enough. We know Denver can score in a multitude of ways. All five of their starters can give you double digits on any given night. Is Miami's defense and how they execute their defense good enough to throw Denver off? with the rest of the guys. I think that's going to be the big key to the series. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it, it won't be any different than it has been. Denver will be better than Miami will be, um, but so was Boston, and so was Milwaukee, and maybe so were the Knicks, and that didn't matter, so we'll see. Great back and forth here. I was, I'm, I'm, gl- that, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're locked I in just, here. I just I'm glad you're locked in. said something. What do you mean? <laughs> was my mic not on when I made that statement? No, your your mic hasn't been on all morning. Did you not know? Oh. No, <laughs> that'd make for some good radio. But no, it, it does come down on the matchups because they have played such good defense. Miami has, but Denver hurts you because they can hurt you beyond Jokic. Right, that's the whole thing. As great as he is, and he's phenomenal, eight triple doubles this postseason. They hurt you in so many other ways. Can Miami's defense? 
be able to stop. And what do you do? Do you put Jimmy on Jamal? Is that your matchup? Or do you rotate? Like that, I have I have questions on how Spo, Spo is going to attack that. I trust Spo make the right decision. That's all I know. I, it's it's interesting too because sometimes you 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 buy the logic of not putting your best offensive player with a very difficult defensive matchup, to try and save his legs a little bit, right? Correct. So I mean that's something. And and look, Miami's done different things throughout this playoffs. They've had different matchups. They've you know, tweaked things. They've, they've also adjusted. had different. Like when you're playing Giannis, right? You you have to look at things in a different way. Uh, defensively, because you and it's kind of the same when you play Jokic too, because it's not just as simple as you're going to leave somebody alone on him. So I, I think some of that will come into play as well. With the Knicks, it's a little bit more traditional, right? There wasn't like a guy that's that provides a you know a matchup that's that's unique in that type of way. And I think in Boston, that's kind of the same situation. Like they have great players, but they don't have guys that are these um, just unicorns, so to speak. I, I know it gets overused that term, but. That's what Giannis is, and that's what Jokic is. So I think that's two different ways. Now, again, Miami's got to close things out tonight uh, or in the next couple of games. Um, so I think Correct. they will. But, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting if that is the matchup, which it's certainly trending in that direction. Do you think we're going to be surprised by how much interest there will be in a finals if it is Denver and Miami? Because the narrative is no one's going to want to watch it. It's unbelievable how many <clears> – <throat> cable executives live on Twitter like everybody has these like direct stakes involved with TV ratings and they just think it's going to be the worst thing ever uh, that's sarcasm um, I don't know why so many people care about TV ratings that have nothing to do with their j- daily job to monitor them but they think it's going to be the worst thing that's ever happened they think 12 people are going to watch the finals <laughs> Um, I think it's going to be interesting basketball. Same thing when it was Phoenix. I mean, like when that series too specifically when it was Phoenix and Milwaukee. Like I think that was one of the more intriguing matchups in a long time. Like I loved that matchup. I don't know why people. If and, you like and appreciate basketball, you'll watch. Right, and, and I look. I understand that there's some people that only watch when the Celtics or the Lakers or the Knicks or the Yankees or the, or the Alabama Knicks. Crimson Tide or the, you know. I, there's people who only watch when those teams play. That's fine, and that's always going to be like that. But um, I don't think it's ever better sport. Like I don't. Maybe it's better theater at times if the storylines line up. But I don't think it's ever better basketball or better football or better better baseball just because those teams are playing. There's a reason those teams aren't going to be in the finals this year because they weren't good enough to make it to the finals. Like that's the end of the day. That is a great point. I enjoyed the Phoenix Milwaukee series. And, look, if you love the game, you'll watch. That's what it boils down to. And so many times we get so concerned, you know, ratings become such an overblown thing. Oh, this this hasn't been one. Look, if it's good basketball, it's good basketball. And if you can appreciate that, look, I want to see Jimmy Butler on the biggest stage again. I want to see Jokic on the biggest stage. Like, I want to see Spo try to win a title without LeBron James and D Wade. Like, I, I want to see that. There, there's intrigue here for me. Now, not everyone's going to love it, but you know what? I'm also the type of guy that gets fatigued by the same old, same old Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State for college football, Yankees. Red Sox, Dodgers in baseball, right? It, NFL, the Patriots every single year when they were it, it just 
you get to the point, Dawson, where fatigue sets in and you want something else. And this is good. I've never understood the argument that, well, a team that isn't one of your traditional teams being in the mix, how that's a bad thing. Doesn't that give every fan base hope? Doesn't that give every owner and general manager rather hope that if they invest money into their teams and they make smart moves, that they can be a champion as well, right? Like, how's that a bad thing? Well, it's why the NFL model is the best model to me as far as parity and what they've created. And I know New England had a run where they were up there, and Kansas City's kind of doing some of the same. But uh, what the NFL's been able to create is something that's not dependent on market size whatsoever, right? I don't. People don't complain. Yeah, there's people that want the Jets to be relevant, and now that Rodgers is there, I'm sure we're going to get a ton of coverage of it. But there's not this like never-ending push where it's like, well, if the if the Rams and the Chargers and the Jets aren't the teams in it, we're not paying attention. You don't hear that about the NFL, right? Like you don't hear people saying that. But you, you still have it. record numbers of people that watch Arizona in the Super Bowl, right? No, and that's the thing they've they've created something. And and who are the most some of the most historic franchises in the NFL are the Green Bay Packers, who are in the middle of nowhere and. Like, I think they've done a great job creating it to where market doesn't matter, and I don't know exactly why. I'm sure there's some science behind it and some logic behind the fact that the bigger markets dominate basketball and baseball, but uh, that's just one of the reasons I, I you know, really enjoy what the NFL's created as far as parity because you don't, you don't hear a guy going, oh, he's never – when's he going to get out of Green Bay, right? We've had historic franchise quarterbacks there for the last 30 years. We'll wrap it up with this. The NFL has done a masterful job more than any other sports league of making every team relevant, right? And the success of their league does not hinge on one team being relevant and being good. It's the league that matters, not the— It's the the shield. No, and and, and as much flack as Roger Goodell gets, and look, plenty of it's warranted, like, that's one thing since he's taken over the league that's that's never been better, right? Like— and it's same. It boils over to to the nuances of it, right? Free agency. You don't hear somebody saying, "Well, how are the Saints going to lure a free agent?" Nobody wants to complain in New Orleans. Like you don't hear that for the Saints, but you hear it for the Pelicans, right? Like all their historic franchise players have been draft picks because nobody wants to come to New Orleans in free agency. Nobody goes to Oklahoma City in free agency. Nobody goes anywhere. But yet, Green Bay and New Orleans and you know Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Panthers are, like you don't have trouble getting free agents there because the NFL has created a model in which that's not the only thing that matters. So correct. I, it's it's a job well done to them in that regard for Cincinnati. Like it just it, it they've done a masterful job at that. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll speak to a master, Ali Cassell, editor in chief of the Bird Rights. We'll break down the NBA playoffs. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. 
Joining us now is the man in charge of the bird rights, the editor-in-chief himself. He knows Pelicans. He knows NBA. He knows far more than just that. Ali Cassell joins us. Ali, good morning, bud. How are you? Good morning, Raymond. Just trying to figure out what we're going to be doing for, what, close to 10 days when we think, right, the Heat are going to beat the Celtics, and there's not going to be any NBA basketball until June 1st. <laughs> yes, it's going to be It's going to be a tad. Uh, it's going to be uh, – we'll, we'll talk about impending free agency or, <laughs> or something. Um, all right, let's start off with the series that wrapped up last night. Denver uh, was able to take uh, some early punches from L.A. courtesy of LeBron James, who was magnificent early in this game. But the Lakers just didn't have enough firepower. Anthony Davis was so-so. And the Nuggets were clearly the better team, the deeper team. And they completed the sweep. What stands out to you about what Denver was able to do? The fact that I think everybody underrated Denver a little bit too much, right, coming in these playoffs to where they're really a complete team. They're the most complete team in a Western Conference. Where you've got the two stars, as you just mentioned, Jokic, averaging a triple-double here in the playoffs and then of course Jamal Murray he can seemingly get hotter than the sun right and and ride a good quarter a good half to lead the Nuggets to like a win that that's happened several times against the Lakers here in this uh, series that just concluded and then the role players I had circled them as being better than the Lakers uh, group uh, coming into this series and it really showed I mean in the past two series, the Lakers have gotten a lot from you. You take your pick, whether it's Rui Hachimura, even D'Angelo Russell, um, you know Lonnie Walker, their whole cast. But they haven't gotten really anything from those guys except for Austin Reeves these last four games. And now you see why the Lakers got swept, right? LeBron, he, he can still bring it, right? He was, a, you're, you're right, incredible in that first half in last night's game. But he can't really carry that team like, say, maybe a Jimmy Butler can nowadays. That's just not in his wheelhouse at age 38 anymore. Anthony Davis needed to be better. But overall, yeah, the, the Nuggets, one through seven, right? Mike Malone's got a heck of a seven-man rota- rotation. And those guys are simply better. And I don't see how they're going to lose to whether they face the Celtics or the Heat. Jokic passes Wilt Chamberlain for most triple-doubles in a postseason in NBA history. That mark was set back in 1967. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, We've talked a lot about him during this playoff run, just how special he is, more so now than when he won the back-to-back MVPs. Just how unique is his skill set and just how special is he? All you have to do is watch him for a couple of possessions, and he literally does everything you need to win basketball games. Defensively. He makes sure that the opponent gets one one shot. He's in there with the guys that can jump over him, right? Anthony Davis, but he's the guy that pulls down the rebound in traffic because he uses his size, right? His uh, strength, his length so well. Saw that multiple times in last night's game and throughout the playoffs, really. So he get, grabs a rebound. Then he can push the ball up the court. So he's suddenly your best passer. He's the, your seven-foot center bringing the ball up the court. And he's putting the defense automatically on the heels, right? The opponent's defense. And, and there's not nothing you can really do. But then if you got to get in the half court, guess what? He can score from anywhere. He knows how to find cutters better than probably anybody in the game today. So he's just the most complete basketball player, especially from an offensive side, right? And being able to make everybody around him better. 
right? You're going to get a lot of easy shots because you play with Nikola Jokic. He knows how to find you. He knows where your best spots are. And, and like I say, he his understanding of the game, you know, is just incredible. If you've watched this entire playoffs, then you, you, you look at, say, somebody like Boston to where Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they were so great in the regular season. But now they're just having trouble just even getting good shots. It's not a problem for a guy like Jokic. You know, he's just mastered all his skill set, and we're seeing it, right? He's he's a legitimate MVP. Even though he didn't win it this year, he should have, right? Maybe. <laughs> well, Ali, the Lakers are now put in an interesting spot ahead of the offseason. We heard LeBron kind of noncommittal about his future last night, and that impacts them, but not only them, but the Pelicans, who still have some pick swaps and first-round picks and things of the Lakers in the future. What do you see the offseason looking like in Los Angeles? I think LeBron was speaking more from just being exhausted, from just being in a, such a mentally and physically tired state. He's made it well known for years that he really wants to stay, at least give it a good shot at being able to play with his son. And I don't think that's changed. I think that talk yesterday just stemmed from disappointment, right? His body not being 100%. Because if you just think back to the way he looked on the course, say, in January or so, before he had that leg injury that kind of zapped his second half of the regular season and affected him in the playoffs, I think. He, he he looked a lot more mobile, right? So I think not being able to play at his physical best, and like I said, not being able to will this team further, even though, look, they got further than anybody expected. But when you heard LeBron talking yesterday, he expects to get the finals or it's kind of a disappointment in his head. So I think he's going through those, uh, you know, just kind of those thoughts. And then when you, of course, hear that your best friend or one of your old best friends, Carmelo Anthony, just retired, well, I'm sure he knows the writing's on the wall, right? He knows that he's got very limited time left in the NBA. So if he's not winning rings, he's obviously thinking about off-the-court stuff. But like I said, I don't think he's going to retire next season. I think that might either be him just being tired or you got to consider it might be a leverage play, right? I bet you he wants to play with Kyrie Irving next year. I mean, Austin Reeves is good. Anthony Davis shows up every other game. But he wants more people that he trusts around him. And I think Kyrie's the one he circles. So – I think this, like I said, might be a leverage play by him to get the Lakers to do basically, you know, what he asks. Well, you mentioned leverage, and the Miami Heat certainly have all the leverage in that series over on the Eastern Conference. Um, it's kind of the situation where you, you're still surprised every time it happens, but I guess we shouldn't be at this point because Miami is a different team than they were in the regular season. How do they continue to do what they're doing, and does it say some more about Boston's lack of composure in this postseason? What, what have you made of that series so far? I think it does. I mean, look, I know that I don't want to take anything away from the Heat. They, you know, first round, beat the Bucks, right? The number one seed. The Knicks, yeah, I mean, they, they're not as considered as, as highly of as, say, the Bucks or the Celtics. But look, Knicks play tough, especially under Thibodeau, and they dismiss them relatively easily, too. So Jimmy Butler, there's few that can bring it like him where he really, truly elevates his game, uh, in the playoffs every year. We've seen it now. Four years in Miami. They've made the playoffs four years. This is going to be their second finals, it looks like, right? Made a conference finals another in another season. So he always brings it. But with the Heat, what's impressive to me is Spolstra can squeeze every last drop out of his guys. And, you know, you, you saw in the last game, right? D Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, big games for them. And, and they weren't even in the regular rotation for, well, at least part of the regular season. And then you get other contributions, too. And suddenly their role players are playing better than Boston Stars. Well, that's a problem. And that's why I said I don't want to take anything away from Miami. But at the same time, 
Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown have to be better. Marcus Smart, every single one of those Boston Celtics have to be better. You've proven in regular seasons that you might be one of the best, most talented teams for the last few years, but you haven't shown in the playoffs, and especially this this run, right? Last year they folded in the finals against the Warriors. Now they seem to be having problems in every series, but now they're on the brink of elimination, right? Falling behind 3-0 to a team that shouldn't be up 3-0 on you. So it's a major disappointment. Speaks a lot to their coach, who's incredibly inexperienced, right, Joe Mazzulla. But like I said, the stars have to be stars in Tatum and Brown, and they haven't been. Do you believe Miami will get the job done and move on, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, look, it's Jimmy Butler, number one. So I think they're going to beat them in in four, right? I think it's going to be a sweep because Boston stopped playing right about during halftime of the last game, and they definitely didn't bring anything in that second half. So I feel like they're done. They've packed it in. Wow. Talking with Ollie Cassell, editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, so if you think they're going to get it done tonight, we're going to have heat nuggets. We had this discussion earlier. Dawson and I are going to watch because we love basketball, and there's a lot of great things about both of these teams on how they attack the game of basketball that we like. What would you make of this NBA Finals between the Nuggets and presumably the Heat? Well, it's a big loss for the major markets. <laughs> I'm sure Adam Silver had dreams of it being the Lakers and the Boston Celtics, right? Everybody knows their rivalry in the 80s. I know I grew up watching it, and I'm sure he wanted to see that again because uh, we've only had a glimpse really since the 80s, right? When Kobe's Lakers faced KG Paul Pierce's Celtics a few times. I'm not unhappy in the least that, that that's not going to happen. As you mentioned, for basketball reasons, I love Nikola Jokic. I love watching Denver play. They play such a style of basketball that is so inviting, right? Whether, you, whether you're a teammate or just a fan of Jokic's, he's so inclusive. And it's kind of the style I think that Willie Green's trying to install here, right, with the Pelicans. It's very hard to do. you got to have full buy-in and trust from the players. But I like the fact that for the Nuggets – They've been together now for a while. If you think about it, Jokic came in the league, didn't make the playoffs in his first three years. And they've had a lot of ups and downs there, but they've stayed, you know, through uh, all their thick and thin by keeping Mike Malone when maybe they should have moved on from him. Maybe moving on from Jamal Murray. I mean, there's trade rumors involving him and James Harden several years ago. Maybe they should have moved on from him when he injured his knee, remember? Michael Porter's back. But like I said, the Nuggets stayed the course. So I feel like there's a lesson there, especially when you look at the Heat. Those guys, while it's it's a mishmash unit of a lot of undrafted players at their core, it's a really good group of guys in Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and maybe a few others, Tyler Hero, that have been together for a while, played a lot of games. But you like, like I said, that they've been together also. So I think that speaks to if you want to put some patchwork roster, even though the Lakers did had an impressive run, you're not going to beat a team that's been there for years. And I think that helps a team like the Pelicans, right? So New Orleans fans should be happy to see this scenario, even though I know nobody's really a Lakers fan here, but for other reasons, including if you want to see your young core grow, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even though you've gone through some disappointment, like the Nuggets have, like we're seeing with the Pelicans currently, that if you stay the course, that might be your best chance at winning. I love that optimism. I would also point out that both Denver and Miami are built with not a lot of number one or number five uh (laughs) <laughs> top five draft picks they're well said, built with yeah. guys that are fringe lottery guys and uh second rounders and undrafted guys so coaching and development matters ollie 
Appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy your holiday weekend, my friend. Absolutely, guys. You do the same. I know it's getting hot out there, so stay hydrated, huh? <laughs> this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast, Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press and the Mid-East Coaches Show, and Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, for stopping by today. We did have a poll question of the day. The D to the low, love this poll question. Which baseball team has the best chance to win its conference tournament? 35% of you say the Raging Cajuns. 35% of you say the LSU Tigers. 15% say the McNeese Cowboys, and 15% of you say all will lose. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all of you who left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute. Ooh. Should we come back and do a show tomorrow? I mean, we did such a tremendous job today on this Tuesday edition of the show, D'Lo. Do we even need to bother to do a show tomorrow? I think we will. Footnotes will not, though. They're gonna have to, We're going to have to bring it just today and it's gonna have to last for two days maybe even three depending on how depending happen. on what happens in hoover alabama yes that is correct we'll be back on tomorrow from six to nine and we'll lead you into lsu pregame at nine o'clock first pitch nine thirty, as lsu will take on the winner of today's south carolina georgia single elimination game so we'll see what happens there and obviously, we'll get you ramped up for that and prepare you for that as well. For the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Islow, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and what we hope is going to be a glorious Tuesday. Eh, they may have scored too many runs. He's probably going to think they got to pay the piper. Footnotes is next right here on the game. <laughs>